I praise the Lord and for this church, and I thank God for the growth and, and what He's done in the hearts of many of the people that are sitting in this very room. But don't ever let us get so dignified that we can't just raise a hand and say hallelujah and praise God every now and then. Let's not get so formal that we can't worship the Lord Jesus in spirit and in truth and let the redeemed of the Lord say so in the midst of His people. Amen. I enjoyed that. What a blessing that song was in my heart this morning. I needed that. Thank you. Have your Bibles, Matthew chapter number 21, and look at verse number 1. I want you to remain seated just for a moment. Uh, Over the next several weeks, uh, I'm hoping uh, that we'll be able to do this on Sunday mornings. We may creep into some Sunday nights to get all of this in on time. But I want to take the next several weeks, whether we do it in the morning or in the morning in the evening, to go through the passion of Jesus Christ. You know, all four, on four separate occasions, I have held my infant children in my arms, looking into their eyes, and I've wondered at the life they would lead. I've looked forward to the days of childhood growth, the days of their education and vocation, the days of family and prosperity as I held them in my arms. I looked into their eyes and prayed for God's best for them, for God's blessing upon their lives, for for a a life of, of long years. But I did not look into those eyes and picture their death. It never crossed my mind. It never entered into the realm of possibility. But with the life of the Lord Jesus, His life was very different. Although He was a child and had childlike experiences, He had vocational experiences, being raised as a carpenter's son in Nazareth under Joseph, His father. He had the experiences of growth and of life just like any other child. Yet His life was for a very different purpose. Jesus came to die. When He was born in Bethlehem's stable, His ultimate fruition of His life, the ultimate goal of His life, was not to achieve some measure of prosperity, a vocational position, but it was to die on a rugged cross on a hillside. Mark 10.45, Jesus said from His very lips, For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. His life was the ultimate conclusion of a death. The importance of the death of Christ is very evident when you consider that over one quarter, 25% of the gospel narratives are focused not on the 30 years that He lived, not on the very brief three years of His ministry, but one week of His life. 25% of what is said about the most incredible individual that has ever lived is said about that final week. The final week of Jesus' life. Now when we come to this final week, many in our day and time, they refer to it as the passion of Christ. That passion week. You ever hear hear people talk about Lent? Uh, It has a close relationship to passion week, but it is something reserved for more liturgical churches, and I'll leave it at that. Most of the books that you'll find on passion week have to do with Lent. 
But when we look at the week of Passion, you know, I wondered as I was studying this, why do they call it Passion Week? It just didn't seem like a fitting name for the final week of someone's life. But do you realize that it's, I thought it was kind of some Catholic thing that was put on it because uh, it seems to have originated and maybe, uh, maybe I thought it originated from sort of Catholic background. But the reality is the word passion is used in the Bible to refer to the days leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. Acts verse, uh, chapter number 1 and verse number 3 says, To whom also, talking of Jesus, He showed Himself alive after His passion. The word translated passion is a word, a Greek word, that simply means suffering. We usually associate the word passion with like romantic love or, or something of that nature. But the reality is the word passion means to suffer. The same word translated passion in Acts 1-3 is translated suffering in other various passages. Hebrews 13 and verse number 12, Wherefore Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered without the gate. Speaking of the passion, the suffering of Jesus. In 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also hath suffered for, uh, for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. Same word translated passion is a word translated suffering. And so over the next few weeks on Sunday morning and maybe even Sunday night, we're going to delve into this last and final week of the Lord Jesus. I want us uh, to, uh, leading up to the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus on Easter, look closely at these final days before Jesus' death on the cross and His resurrection. And drawing from these moments truth for our lives to be lived out every day. Now the Passion Week, many, many people put certain days, of course, for example, the day, the Sunday before Jesus' crucifixion, um, uh, is, is often referred to as Palm Sunday. And people uh, give certain days of the week for everything. You know, most of you in the United States will have Good Friday off as a holiday. People uh, see Good Friday as the Friday which Jesus suffered and died on the cross. And there are many that dispute these days of the week. So I'm going to leave the specific day. Some people say that what we're about to look at, the triumphal entry of Jesus, happened on Sunday. Some say Monday. Uh, others say uh, there are different days and how these put to, uh, put together. I'm going to leave that aside. I have my own convictions, my own opinions about those. But we're just going to look at these days. And, and for today, I want us to look at a day of declaration. Where this Passion Week starts is a day of declaration. I want us to look at that in Matthew 21 and verse number 1. So if you would please stand in honor and reverence to God's Word, Matthew 21 and look at verse number 1. And when they, meaning the disciples and Jesus, when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, they were come uh, to Bethpage and unto the Mount of Olives. Then sent Jesus uh, two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, he shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. 
All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughters of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put them there, and put on them their clothes, and they sat him, meaning Jesus, thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strayed them in the way. And the multitudes that were went before before that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when He was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved. Who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to speak to you this morning on this subject, a day of declaration. A day of declaration. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We pray that you would bless the reading of your word to our hearts and lives. God, I pray that you would help us to travel back in time. That you'd plant us among this multitude uh, this morning and this, e- and this this time as we look at this passage of Scripture. And I pray that we would be among the crowd saying, Hosanna to the King. Praise His name. Salvation is come, the Son of David, that comes in the name of the Lord. Father, I pray that we would all hail Him as King this morning. God, if there be those without the Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit conviction, may it fall upon them. Draw them to bow the knee before the King of kings and Lord of lords. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. I heard about a retraction that had to be printed in the Milton Freewater Valley Herald. It read, the title of a a first Christian church program in last week's paper should have been recorded as Our God Reigns. It was inaccurately recorded as our God resides. Well, the world may think that the throne in heaven is empty. That that somehow God or Jesus has abdicated His throne of power. And they account the life of Jesus as nothing more than fanciful legend of a social or religious reformer. But our Bible, the Word of God, tells us, states, proclaims without 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 any kind of qualification that the living Christ, Jesus Himself, was born the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has in no way resigned or abdicated His throne. Nowhere in the earthly life of the Lord Jesus is that made more glaringly obvious than in His triumphal entry that commenced the Passion Week of our Lord Jesus You see, each one of us today can look at this passage of Scripture, look upon this scene, dare I say even stand among them in our mind's eye, and we can place this, uh, we can see if Christ indeed holds this place of royalty within our hearts and lives. We can do this by recognizing three descriptions that I want to bring to you from this scene. Three descriptions of the Lord Jesus. Is He king in your life as He was recognized king 
in this text. Number one, I want you to see the significance of his actions. The significance of his actions to all outward eyes riding a donkey into Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago might not be too noteworthy. Hundreds, if not thousands, had done the same in time and antiquity. What makes this donkey ride so important? This donkey ride into the city of David, what makes it so astounding and breathtaking in its importance? Well, Jesus had been to Jerusalem many times before. And yet, what is the significance that we see here? I want to point out two distinctions of His significance. Number one, I want you to see the description of His entry. When we look at this passage of Scripture, Matthew tells us that it echoes back to prophecy. It's significant because it is a fulfillment of prophetic utterance. In verses 4 and 5, the writer, the author, Matthew, he tells us that this is in fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah. Zechariah, uh, uh, that was a prophet, told of this very scene for Messiah. And, and a prophecy made some 500 years earlier. This is not the first instance of Christ fulfilling prophecy. You do know that, right? Uh, Christ many times in His lifetime, there were occasions in which He fulfilled prophecy. One particularly being the city of His birth in Bethlehem. And so on and so forth. Many prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus' life. Do you realize that there are some 400 identifying characteristics given, prophesied in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah. Some 400 characteristics in the Old Testament. Mathematician Peter Stoner summarized the probability of not 400, not 50, not 25, but 8. 8 prophecies. He's a mathematician. He took 8 prophecies from the Bible. And he tried to quantify the probability of all eight coming true in one person's life. The result was that the, that the odds of one person meeting these eight prophecies was one times ten to the seventeenth power. Get it? One, zero, 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 Big number. In order to try to give you an idea of what that looks like, he said that you could take silver dollars, about yay big, silver dollars, and you could take them and spread them all over the state of Texas, one of the largest states, the second largest state in the Union, the whole state of Texas. You bury the state of Texas in silver coins Two feet deep. You mark one coin with an X and take it and throw it as far into them them coins as you possibly can. The chances of eight prophecies being fulfilled by one man is as if you could walk out anywhere in the middle of that state, reach down one foot into those coins and pick up one with a red X. This is the work of God. That's what Matthew's telling us. 
This is not by happenstance. This is the fulfillment of prophesied Scripture. You see, this was the fulfillment of God's Word. Uh, the description, look at the description given to us in verse number 5 by the prophet. Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, notice this, unto thee meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. Here is the significance of this prophecy. We find fulfilled in, in this uh, by Zechariah. Now, what is the description. The description is Jesus, who is king, according to Zechariah, who is the king of all kings, who will be the promised Messiah, he comes riding a donkey. Now, as he comes to ride this donkey, what does that say to us? It says something of the life of the Lord Jesus. Zechariah said he didn't come in great stallions with flowing hair and bulging muscles. No, he came on a lowly burrow into the city of Jerusalem. He did not come as a king of war. He came as a king of peace. But he comes lowly riding a donkey. You know, this is a, this is a description of the very life of Jesus. Jesus was not born in the palace with all the nation's finest physicians as his attendants to care for him, but he was born in a stable, laid in nothing more than an animal feed trough. He was not, uh, he did not grow up under the instruction of royal tutors, but uh, walking and walking the halls of great palaces, but he was brought up in the poverty of Nazareth, the lowest of the low of places to live in the Israel in that Canaan land. We find his inheritance was not the kingly estates and the rich vineyards as far as the eye could see. No, his inheritance was merely maybe even the clothes on his back, the robe on his back, the staff in his hand, the sandals on his feet, for he had no place with which to lay his head. He could not occupy a throne of inherited rule and which commanded the mighty armies. No, he only had a band of twelve disciples, one of which was a betrayer. He came lowly, in lowly estate. And yet here he comes, the unlikeliest of kings, riding a donkey. Why should He come in such lowly fashion? He who was born the Son of God, could He not come in great canyons with pomp and, and angels heralding his, his walk into Jerusalem by saying, uh, clear the way, the King comes. He could have had celestial fireworks going off. He could have carried a, a mighty sword of God and wearing many crowns into Jerusalem. Why did He come so lowly? He came so lowly so He could reach down to you and He could reach down to us and He could reach down to the sin, the bottom of sin of humanity and reach down to there to bear our sin, to take our place on the cross. He came, this is a description of His entry, but notice also the description of His entry, but the designation of His entry. Look in verse number 4 and 5. Or verse number 5. Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold... Thy king cometh unto thee. You see, the prophet says, Look, behold, lift up your eyes. He may come on the unlikely transportation of a lowly donkey, but he that sits upon that donkey is your king, is your promised deliverer, is your Messiah. This may look out of place, 
This may seem out of the ordinary, but that man on that donkey is your king. But more than a king, he is the Messiah, the promised one of God. According to Bible prophecy, Jesus is being designated as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Do you realize He's still King today? That His throne has not diminished one bit. That the newspapers may announce His untimely death, but Jesus still rules and still reigns in the universe. He's still a King. He's not abdicated His throne The Bible says He's the King of the Jews. He's the King of Israel. He's the King of righteousness. He's the King of the ages. He's the King of heaven. And He is the King of glory. He is the King of saints. He's the King of kings. And He is the Lord of lords. As that old black preacher S.M. Lockridge was known to say, He is enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast, immortally graceful. He's empirically powerful. He is impartial partially merciful. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is supreme. He is preeminent. He is the wellspring of wisdom, the doorway of deliverance, the pathway of peace, the roadway of righteousness, the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. He is is the king. He is the king. As, as, as the daughters of Jerusalem should rightly rejoice. He is the king. The king has returned. He is taking his rightful place. This is so significant it cannot be understated. Shout, O daughters of Jerusalem. May I say, shout, O ye members of the church of Jesus Christ. Your king lives. He rides upon a donkey and the foal of an ass. He cometh as king. It was significant what Jesus did. Notice also in this description of king, we see not only the significance of his actions, but we see the supremacy of his authority. The prophetic fulfillment of this, this moment's description was not only indicated by what was seen of him riding on a donkey, but prior to that, We see the executive orders. We see the disposition of a king, a sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful king. We see that in Jesus. Notice we see, first of all, the extent of His understanding. In verses number 1 through 3, Jesus is setting up this scene. This is a very powerful scene, one that is absolutely essential for the prophetic fulfillment of which the Old Testament prophets gave. And so Jesus is beginning to orchestrate this scene. Look at what He says in verse number 2. He tells two of His disciples, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto Me. If any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them. And straightway He will send them. Now we remember, we also need to remember as we come to this point that Jesus owns Like I said earlier, he may have owned a staff, sandals on his feet, maybe the cloths that hung from his shoulders, but beyond that, his ownership stopped. He had nothing. So Jesus sends these disciples to borrow this donkey to prove the fulfillment of Scriptures. He sends them with strange instructions to take this animal from a certain place 
at a certain time from certain individuals. And if they say certain things, they're to say a certain thing back to them. This retrieval in and of itself is a miracle that took place. Here Jesus, in His omniscient wisdom, He is proving His divinity to these disciples and to us today. He sends them on this journey. You see, it's a demonstration of His omniscience. He, he knew where the colt was. He knew that the colt was tied. He told them to loose the colt. He knew what the disciples, he knew that the disciples would be questioned. And he knew the answer that the disciples were to make to the owner to satisfy the owner. We're told in other, uh, the, the parallel accounts in Mark and Matthew go into greater detail about the retrieval of the donkey and the conversation that ensued. These disciples walk up. Now I want you to know right now, don't take advantage of this and go down to uh, go down to Mountain View Ford and say, this F-150 is mine. I claim it in the name of the Lord and try to drive off with it. I I'm afraid the Lord didn't tell you that. Amen. But these disciples, they go down and, and walk into the city and straightway, they see it. The first one that comes into vision, they walk over to it, a coat with a foal of a, 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 a donkey with the foal of an ass with it. They go over, they loose them, they're about to walk off with them, somebody stops them. Hey, what are you doing? I mean, that just seems only right. What are you doing? You're taking my donkey. What's going on here? And they say, the Lord hath need of them. Jesus in His mind knew what would satisfy the owner in that instance. And He brought that, that to them. It is proves again the knowledge of this King. The understanding that this King has over all things. You do know that Jesus knows all things. Many times in the Scriptures you'll find Jesus, He knew what their thoughts of their heart. Why think ye the way that ye are? Jesus often said. He knew the hearts of men. He knew the thoughts of men. He knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. As we saw last week, He is the one that searcheth the reins and the hearts of individuals. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. A.W. Tozer sums up beautifully what the omniscience of God is like. Listen to what he said. He said, God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters. All mind and every mind. All spirit and all spirits. All being and every being. All create creaturehood and all creatures. Every plurality and all pluralities. All law, every law. All relations, all cases, all faults, all mysteries, all uh, enigmas, all feeling, all desires, every, every unuttered secret, all thrones, all dominions, all principalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and earth, motion, space, time, life, death, evil, good, heaven, hell, and you sit there at the kitchen table wondering, what in the world am I going to do? And the God of heaven who knows all things holds you in His very hands, has engraved your name upon His paw. He knows all. He knows you. Every fiber of you this morning. Every thought. Every sin and every service. Every good and every evil. He knows all of us. Oh, crown Him King. With such knowledge, with such knowledge, He is more than capable of ruling my life. Why would you not lend that rulership to Him for your life as well? The extent of His understanding, the exercise of His Lordship. 
In Luke's account, I want to read, I want to read to you Luke's account, Luke 19, 32 and 35. And they were sent away, went their way, and they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus. He is, here is an exercise of the Lordship of his king. Does not Jesus sound like a king? Go and retrieve this animal. And if anybody says anything to you, you tell them that the Lord needs him. And they'll let you along your along the way. You see, Jesus requested the colt be given to him, a command of a king. And upon taking the colt, the response to the question, the owner submitted to Submitted to this authority authority in his life. Submitted to the demand of the Lord. The parallel accounts of Mark and Luke both tell us that this was a colt or a donkey that had never been ridden on. Had never been ridden on. Now, I'm not a cowboy or grew up on a farm or wear boots a lot, but I can tell you this. Any animal that don't know much about having a saddle on their back it's one that's bound to buck you off. You try to get on it. If it's unbroken, if it's not, if nobody's ever ridden on that animal, it's going to give you a fit trying to get on it. But here is this donkey. This donkey, this wild donkey, this wild jack was brought to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And here we find him walking down the descent of the Mount of Olives upon this donkey that no man had ever rode. And we find not a nary a buck, nary a kick. Nary a stop along the way, but this animal submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in such a way that where because this animal submitted to that Lordship, all the passers-by saw the King coming and they worshipped Hosanna to the highest. Hosanna unto the King, the, uh, the Son of David cometh in the name of the Lord. People begin to do all kinds of, of acts of glorification of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because a donkey, a donkey, a lowly, cursed, a dumb animal submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I tell you, continents are won to Jesus Christ, not by the geniuses that come with the Bible. Uh, uh, whole cities are taken in revival, not because of great psychological knowledge, but from a life that is submitted to Jesus Christ. A life that falls at the feet of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, this happens when people submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. People see Jesus for who He really is. Jesus is glorified as He should be. Are you submitting to that Lordship? We see in Jesus here His kingly role, His seat of authority as King of kings and Lord of lords because of his, the supremacy of His authority. Finally, lastly, I want you to see not only the significance of His actions, the supremacy of His authority, but the shouts of acclamation. The shouts of acclamation. In His commentary on Matthew, Arno uh, uh, Gabriel said of this moment, he des uh, described it as reaching the, end, the beginning of the end. Ivor Pyle said that Jesus was commencing the final and most important phase of His life. This scene of, uh, on the descent from the Mount of Olives where the holy city can be viewed was 
filled with people shouting the praises of the king and the shouts of and the, and in these shouts the reaction of the greeters we see the kingly role the identification of Jesus Christ as king notice first of all we see a purposeful affirmation a purposeful affirmation look in verse number 7 and brought the ass and the colt and put them on their uh, put on them their clothes and they set him thereon the significance of that verse and that moment cannot be overlooked for the first time Jesus publicly and blatantly announced Himself to be King and Messiah. You see, there are many occasions in the Gospel. I don't know if you remember these. We've gone over some of them. There are many occasions in the Gospel, particularly when Jesus worked miracles, that He told people, don't tell anybody what I've done for you. It's always puzzling to us, isn't it? Jesus opens the blinded eyes of man's and says, please, don't tell anybody who did this for you. And he goes off, Jesus did this for me, Jesus did this for me. But here, Jesus oftentimes, he tells people not to say, or not to spread his fame, not to go around telling people what he has done. Why? Why was this done? Like, for example, Luke 15 and verse number 14, Jesus said, tell no man. Uh, Matthew 12, 16, He charged them that they should make not make Him known. Mark 1, See thou say nothing to any man. Jesus, you see, Jesus was very cautious of the Lord's timing in His ministry. Do you remember the first miracle uh, that Jesus performed at the wedding of Cana? And Jesus' mother came to him and said, uh, uh, Master, they're out of wine. And what was Jesus' response? Woman, my time has not yet come. He is trying to tell her that timing of what He does and when He does it is vitally important. Why? Because this moment. The time of the Lord is at hand. Jesus often said uh, to His disciples in the moments leading up to the Passion Week, the time is at hand. The hour has come. Mine hour has come. Mine hour has come to be glorified. Mine hour has come. Jesus has been telling them, this is the time. This is the moment. Here, Jesus is acknowledging that for the first time publicly. He is publicly announcing His kingship. His rule. You see, all with, he is always aware that his time had not yet come. But when this moment happened, all that changed. Sitting astride that donkey, Jesus was boldly, purposely affirming himself to be king. Now is the time. Now is the time for him to be seen as the king. I want you to see the significance of this purposeful affirmation. He purposely did this. So that we would know He was Messiah and King. Notice not only a purposeful affirmation, but a joyful presentation. Look at verse number 8. And a great multitude spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches from the trees and, and strayed them in the way. Notice what's going on here. Jesus not only declared Himself to be King, but He was received. He was received by others as a King. Now, 
I've played with kids in the neighborhood before, and anytime you get a kid in a group of kids together in the neighborhood, one of them's going to say, "Well, I'm going to be the captain if you're playing army. I'm going to be the general. If you're if you're playing store, I'm going to be the manager." And everybody may stand up. Wait a minute. Why are you the manager? Why can't I be the manager? And then a fight ensues. How many of you know what I'm talking about? In the neighborhood, you're playing as kids. One guy, I'll be the manager. I'll be the general. I'll be the sheriff and you be the deputy. I want to be the deputy. I don't want to be the deputy. I want to be the sheriff. No, I'm, this is my guns. It's my cap gun. I'm the sheriff kind of thing. That's not the way it was with Jesus. When Jesus rode astride that donkey, there were thousands. There were thousands that lined the streets into Jerusalem that participated in an exaltation of Jesus Christ as their king. They were identifying Him as such. This is not just Jesus saying He's the king. It is the acknowledgement of every bystander along, along the way. You see, this was taking place at the time of Passover. The law of God required that every firstborn male of every family in the, in the land was to come into Jerusalem. And everyone was to make sacrifice. One sacrifice was sufficient for ten members of the family. Censuses were taken uh, several years later that indicated some 200,000 lambs were slaughtered. Therefore, that puts the population that came into the city of well around Two, Josephus even goes as high as three million people. The city swelled in population of people. There were thousands, hundreds and thousands of people along these roads where Jesus made His entry into Jerusalem. And verse 8 says uh, that, uh, that they began to laud Him as their King by taking their garments and spreading them out in the path before Him. Spreading, the spreading of garments is significant. It seems almost in every culture that we esteem or we welcome those of laudable position, of high up worthiness with some kind of clearing of the path, a special path. You've heard the phrase, well, roll out the red carpet. The red carpet is for someone to walk down that is prestigious, a celebrity, a, a, powerful, a, a powerful ambassador, something to, so to speak. We see this all down through history in, div, uh, uh, in different cultures. Alexander the Great was, was uh, welcomed into Babylon as flowers were strewn across the streets. Other various rulers have been greeted by roses all along the road of their entry. Here, these in the Middle Eastern culture of that time, the, the, the tradition was to place a series of rugs along the path or carpets along the path of a king that made their way into, into a city, into a, a, a palace of such. Can you see these people onlookers as they see Jesus with His disciples? Hey, that's Jesus. He's the teacher of Galilee. He's the healer, the opener of blinded eyes. He's the one that recently raised Lazarus from the grave. And Jesus mounts that donkey and everybody says, Whoa, this, this moment is filled with significance. Here comes the Messiah. Here comes the King. And they begin to take their robes off. They begin to take their coats and lay them down before that little donkey as the donkey makes its way over. The, the, uh, the, the tense of the verb would be that as the donkey passed, they would get their coats and run ahead and lay it down before Him as He walked by and run again and lay it down before Him as He went along His way. 
Oh, he was honored as a king among these common folk of the countryside. He was seen, and, and not, not of in and of himself, not of his own words would he declare himself king, but the words of others he declared himself king. And then all, all, we see also the palm branches. Notice it said in verse number 8, they spread their garments. Others cut down branches. We know from parallel gospel, you know, in the gospel of John, how that we identify these, these branches as palm branches. People begin to clip the palm branches of the nearby trees and wave them and lay them along the path. This was a traditional meaning of joy. Palm branches were a symbol of joy, of victory, of triumph. Here they strow these branches all along the path. Can you see it today? Can you see as they identify Him? Can you see small children dancing along the street saying the Messiah has come? Can you see old men cry who long awaited for the prophecies of Jesus to come to pass? Oh, here He comes. Here He comes. Sing, O daughters of Jerusalem. Joy flooded the path. Here is Jesus, a recipient of glory, a recipient of the wonderful joys of a presentation. These have seen Jesus for who He is and they have surrendered themselves to Him. They bask in the joy of His kingship. Oh, I tell you, I thank for the, for the day, March the 20th, 1994, and a subsequent day on July, uh, July the 21st of 2001, where I bowed down to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and declared Him King and declared Him the one that rules and reigns. Happy am I, joyous am I of such a powerful, sovereign, all-knowing King. Have you crowned Him King this morning? Have you laid your life down before His path and let Him have His way? We sing all the time, I have Thine own way, Lord. Have Thine own way. I am the, I am, you're the potter and I'm the clay. Oh, but these are empty words if we've not taken our lives and laid them down at the feet of Jesus. If we've not come into this place and celebrated the King of glory. Who is the King of glory? He that comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is that King of glory. A joyful presentation. I want to remind you, and when we come into this place on our designated hour, this is not a funeral this is not a time of a funeral dirge or a mournful spirit. Yes, we are to mourn over our sin. Yes, we are to get right with God. But the truth of the matter is, this is a place of celebration. We celebrate the King. His, he comes in every Lord's Day. He comes in every time we assemble and we worship Him. And oftentimes we don't even give Him so much as the tip of the hat. We don't even give Him so much as the, the, the exercise of a thought. The, the utterance of a voice. Oh, there was a joyful presentation. Finally, there was a royal identification. Notice in what they said in verse number 9, and the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the King of David. Blessed is He that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The air was filled uh, with their shouts. The whole valley echoed with the shouts of Hosanna. Hosanna to the King. The word Hosanna is a word that means save. It's a prayer. Save. Save now is the request of the people. The shouts rang out all over the valley and through the streets. Hosanna to the King. The salvation of the Lord had arrived. And although the view 
uh, 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 although their view of this Savior was one of deliverance from Roman rule, yet it is no less true. Salvation does come riding upon a donkey. He does come to save, not necessarily from the oppression of Roman rule, but from the damnation of our sins in eternal judgment. He has come. He has come to bring victory, to bring rule. Notice the title, Son of David. It is not only a title that designates him as the rightful heir by his lineage and line from uh, David in his, in his biological history. This is also a moniker of the coming Messiah, the Son of David. It's an indication that the Messiah would be born of the, of the, the line and the lineage of David. It's a recognition of him as Messiah. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord is the phrase that is used. Or we could say blessed is the Messiah that comes in the authority and commission of the Lord. Blessed is the one that comes according to the promise of the Lord. Oh listen, this day, this day, these, these street witnesses along this path, they recognize that eternal things were happening. They recognized that there was deity before them. They recognized that this man was sent on the commission of God for salvation. Do you recognize that this morning? You're sitting here steeped in your sin and rebellion against God. Would you not see the King coming? Would you not see Him coming to give sacrifice on the cross? To bring victory over death, hell, and the grave? Do you not see the King coming? Do you not see Him this hour being brought before you? Oh, He is worthy. Notice the phrase, Hosanna in the highest, or, or Hosanna in the highest and loftiest, excla- extra, ex- uh, uh, the loftiest strains. This was a song of their celebration. Save now, O thou supremely great and glorious God, save the Messiah that is come in thy name. Hosanna in the highest strains among the angels of heaven. Hosanna, save now. Oh, listen. This was a unusual moment. This was a truly triumphant entry into Jerusalem. This was far more than an ordinary pilgrim welcome for the son of Joseph and Mary, Jesus of Nazareth. This was a verbal identification as Jesus is king. Have you verbally attested to that fact? Jesus is king. Jesus is king. He rules and reigns in my heart. He rules and reigns in my family. He rules and reigns in my decisions. He rules and reigns in my career, my my financial world. He rules and reigns over all. Have you declared Him as such this morning? I close with this story. Reverend E.P. Scott was a missionary to India living during the 1800s. He was prompted, being prompted of the Holy Spirit and going against the pleadings of his family and friends. He set out to visit a village deep in the interior of India, a remote village. He was determined to share the gospel with this dangerous and savage tribe. 
Several days into his journey, Scott was met by a large group of warriors who quickly surrounded him, each on uh, having a, 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 a spear pointed at his life. Expecting to die, Scott made the decision to use these last few breaths, these last moments, to glorify God and to hopefully stir something within the hearts of his captors. He took out his violin that he kept with him all the time. He brought the bow across the strings and there he began to play the song, Oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. He began to sing its lyrics in the language of these tribesmen. After singing the first verse and the second verse and the third verse and then beginning the fourth, he realized that he was still alive. That he had not yet been succumbed to death by these savage men. Reverend Scott then realized that he was still standing. He opened his eyes and that all about him was peace and quiet. He opened his eyes and saw every spirit lowered. And the eyes of these tribesmen filled with tears. That same missionary Scott spent several years sharing the gospel with these people. But these, these savages were confronted with the kingship of Jesus Christ. The lordly rule of the Messiah of God. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown Him Lord of all. Have you crowned Him Lord of all this morning? Do you know Him as a King? So many of us like to think of Jesus as my buddy. He's my man. He's got my back. He's my, he's my pal. We pal around with Jesus and I believe when we do so, we also lose the fact that He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He rightfully owns the terrain, the rule of our hearts and lives. And when we do not give it to Him, we are rebels. And we steal the reins of ownership from the hands of the King. All bow to Him today. In this first day of, his, of the days of His passion, we find this was a moment of declaration. He is King. He is still clean. He has not abdicated His throne. He is a King that not only reigns, but that is coming again. May I say this morning, the King is coming. The King is coming. Bow down and become His subjects today before His day of judgment befall this whole planet. Let's all stand to our feet as we come to a, a song of invitation. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you know, if you're here this morning, and you're without the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, I beg, you, I beg you, I beckon you to come and know Him. You may be a guest. You may be here for the first time and you've never trusted Him as Lord and Savior. Come now. Come now. Trust the King. Put your, put your faith and trust in this King that died for you, that was crucified on the cross, that was buried in the tomb, that was raised from the grave. Come, bow to this King. He dispenses grace. He dispenses mercy. He dispenses kindness to all who will repent and believe. Turn from living life of sin and self. Turn trusting Jesus alone. Come to Him. Trust Him as Savior and Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we pray that You would speak to hearts. Thank You for the Lord Jesus. Thank You for mercy and grace. Thank You for this wonderful day, this, this depiction, this great picture we have in the Scriptures of Your kingly reign, of Your rule. 
You may be battered and beaten of men in the coming chapters. You may be hung cruelly, nakedly on the cross. You may be buried in a, a cold, borrowed tomb. But yet you are still the King that reigns. Oh, Jesus, speak to hearts. Oh, Holy Ghost, convict hearts and lives. Bring them to Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Turn to page 364. My Jesus, I love Thee. Oh, what a fitting song. 364. If you're here today without the Lord Jesus, come. Know Him today. 364. 